glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to kind of cut in on the text. If you were to read prior, uh, we referenced Hebrews 3 in Sunday school. And so if you were to read from Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4, the context, and of course this is written to Hebrew believers or even some who profess to be believers in Christ. So there's some warnings in this book that seem to be to those who maybe were going along with Christianity but were not yet fully convinced of its truth. And then there's warnings to others who did believe. Uh, and uh, the writer would say he was convinced of their, their faith in Christ, but he's giving them an understanding of the rest, Hebrews 3 and 4, that we have in Christ. By the way, that's the Old Testament Sabbath law. If you want to understand its meaning and significance, read Hebrews 3 and 4. We, when we come to Christ by faith, cease from our works and we rest in Him. Amen? Even as God completed the work of creation on day number 6, when He rested the seventh day, does that mean He got tired and took a nap? Help me here. Who? who? Jansen. Does that mean God got tired on the seventh day? We were working with Jansen on this on uh, uh, Friday, I think it was, in school. God doesn't, he doesn't get weary, he's neither sleeps nor slumbers. What it means is God knew his work was done. There was nothing more to do. When you come to Christ, he said on the cross, it is finished, kind of. That's what many teach. It is, what many teach today is it, he started it and you finish it. No, no, he's the author and the finisher of our faith so that we actually rest in him. You don't have to work anymore for your salvation. You're confident he gave it to you. You don't work. You don't rest from your labor. You labor from your rest. I'm resting in Christ. Therefore, I have the strength to labor with him and for him. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. This, this principle, it's not, we're not cherry picking a verse. It's a Bible truth. We rest in Christ. And he's warning of those who might not trust him to the point of resting in him. And they'll not enter into that rest through unbelief. And so it's faith in him. Absolute confidence in His Word. God cannot lie. It's one thing He cannot do is lie. And so if God promised eternal life, that's what He meant. And I simply need to take Him at His Word and rest in His promise and what He's done uh, on my behalf. Hebrews chapter 4. I said we're going to cut in on the text. So Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10 says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, he uses a, almost, a, I don't know what the part of speech would be here. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. It's, it's, um, it's intentional. We labor to enter in his rest. Jesus had strived to enter in at the straight gate, meaning you need to be attentive to make sure you're not trusting in your own works, but you are trusting in Christ. Don't miss this, or you're going to miss eternity with God. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. And if you're saved, there is a rest for the believer... For the believer, that, that brings abundance of life as well. Let us labor therefore into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened 
under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's where our title comes from this morning. All things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now we often quote verse 12. We often quote verse 15. Uh, We often quote verse 16. But I think it's important to see these verses in their context. And the context is you need to come to that place where you are resting completely, not in your works. That's not rest. But resting in Christ And then he gives us some things about accountability. And I believe this. You and I can produce what looks like salvation or Christianity to the eyes of men. That's what false religion is. False religion is producing what appears to be righteousness before men. What God is saying is that's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to get it done. Um, I believe many times we'll say, well, I believe so-and-so is a Christian... And we've made that judgment. By the way, Judas Iscariot was not known to be a fraud until he went out and hanged himself. Only Jesus knew. There are those who are extremely skillful at projecting what it looks like to be a Christian. The Pharisees and scribes had an entire nation duped nearly to think they were righteous men by outward appearance, but that's not what God's looking for. God is looking for genuine heart faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. That is when salvation occurs. had some young men asking us a few weeks ago, so when are you born again? And the question was somewhat sincere. I mean, how do you know when you're born again? You say you must be born again. If this is an event and not a process, when does that take place? The moment you believe God concerning your condemned state and Jesus Christ being the only way to save you, that's when. When you say God is right, I deserve condemnation, I deserve hell. God is right. Jesus is truly the Son of God, and He's alive right now, having died for my sin. God is right. The Bible's right. I believe Him. And I believe Him so much, I'm going to call on Him to save me. That's when it happens. When when you trust Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ does what you trusted Him for, and that is He washes your sins away, gives you new life. You may be here this morning and say, that's not quite where I'm at. Be very attentive, amen? If you have put your faith in Christ, certainly there, this was written to believers. And so, I'll give you three things this morning about this text in Hebrews chapter 4. This is a message I've preached some years ago. So, if there's some familiarity to it, there'll be a reason for that. But I believe it's exactly what the Lord has this morning. So, let's start. We're going to give you the message from verses 12 down through verse 16. And beginning with our appearance before Him, we have... It's, it's not something unique to our time or our culture because if you go back and study the New Testament in Jesus' day, his chief enemies were the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, those men who formulated a religion that made them appear righteous before men, but they really weren't righteous. They were ungodly. They're, they were Jesus likened them to whited sepulchers. They're, they were full of dead men's bones, beautiful on the outside, but inwardly full of dead men's bones. When we were in uh, Butte passing out John and Romans, if you're familiar with Butte, it's a, it's a very Catholic town, a lot of Catholic religion in that town. And while we're knocking doors, going up a steep hill, at the base of that hill was a white Catholic structure. 
The tower was probably 90 to 100 feet tall with a cross at the top. It was, I mean, brilliant white was that building. Some may get offended for what I'm about to say, but it's a fact. I said to my niece who was with me, I said, do you ever remember Jesus speaking and preaching about whited sepulchers? She's like, uh, I think. I said, well, there's one right there. And it is. Beautiful structure, beautiful on the outside. And what's being taught on the inside is sending people to a devil's hell. And that's the truth of it. And the fact of the matter is, is that's part of what the Lord's dealing with here is don't put on the outward form. You need to focus on what God sees, not what man sees. Say, preacher, this is kind of a theme recently. It is. I believe that's directly from the Holy Spirit of God. So we need to be attentive to that. So then Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 He says this, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thought, the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When God speaks, when, when this is, and I'll say this, I say it often, but when many times when people push away from the Bible, whether reading it, hearing it read, hearing it taught, or hearing it preached, it is because of what the Bible reveals. The Bible does not, it does not square with humanism. A humanistic statement would be something like this. Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself means this. You have everything within you that you need to guide you in a path of righteousness. When you read the Bible, God says what you have within you is corruption. The Bible says that out of the heart of men, Mark chapter 7, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, an evil eye. Uh, all these, he names 13 wicked and evil things that defile the man. And guess where he says they come from? Not without, not the culture, the heart. The culture is, man's heart is not corrupt because the culture is corrupt. The culture is corrupt because man is corrupt. So if you look at the Bible, it says the opposite of humanism. Which of you, which doctrine makes you feel better? Humanism that says, you know, all of us have a little good in us. If we would just treat each other a little better, uh, what we do is we borrow a little bit of Christianity. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's nice. And you can because you've got good in you. That's wicked. You have no good in you unless you've been born again. Because only God is good unless he's put his spirit in you. There's not good in us. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9, verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I, the Lord. Meaning the only person that truly knows your heart this morning is God. You say, no, preacher, I know my heart. Don't fool yourself now. Uh, how many of you have ever had God's word show you something was in you and you didn't have an idea until you got under God's word? But I didn't see that in me, but God did. And so many times the reason we shy away from the Word of God is because the Word of God paints a different view than what we have. What happens is if I can get enough people to be impressed with who I am, I'll convince myself I'm a good person. If I can get enough humans to think I'm good, and many different people have different measures of how you do that, used to, you revealed you were a good person by attending church and you know, helping your neighbor wash his car. And by the way, those are good things to do. Now, today, you prove you're good by judging nobody. And I'm not telling you we're supposed to judge each other. Don't misunderstand me. But that's the new doctrine. That's the measure of righteousness today, that you would just say everybody's right, nobody's wrong, and God loves everybody, therefore everybody's okay. That's kind of the new, the new standard of righteousness. Or this one, I've never killed anybody. 
That's not the way God sees it. And so what the writer of Hebrews and the Spirit of God through them is dealing with is you need to understand and, and look at this from God's perspective. And so it says the Word of God is quick, means it's alive, it is, it is active. When we open this old Bible, this King James Bible, and read, some say, oh, it's so hard to understand. Uh, somebody reminded me last week that Mark Twain once said, it's not what I don't understand in the Bible that bothers me. It's what I do. <laughs> and that was some years ago, and a man that was an unbeliever, and he said, it's not what's difficult to understand about the Bible that troubles me. It's what I do understand that troubles me. This morning, I don't think it's hard to understand. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But we'll say, yeah, I'm going to push away. The, the number one reason for pushing away from the Word of God is God tells about what we really are. It's been stated this way. Bear with me. Reputation is what men think you are. Reputation is what men think you to be. Character is what God knows you to be. Who you truly are is what God knows you to be in the recesses of your heart. Well, how do we know that? It's the Word of God that reveals it. God's Word is quick. The Bible, though written so many thousands of years ago because the author of it is still living, he takes it and makes personal, practical application. And this is how it works. I read of some character in the Bible, and all of a sudden I say, I don't like that story. And I close my Bible and say, that just makes me feel uneasy. I was reading the other day about this character or that one, and boy, that just makes me feel uneasy. I would encourage you to go back and read it again. Because basically what's going on is the Spirit of God is showing you yourself in the pages of Scripture. And so then the revelation of God's Word tells us about our appearance before Him. I believe this with all my heart. If you'll read the Bible sincerely, you will be convinced of the authorship being from God. Because you'll know that whoever authored that book knows you inside and out. Amen. How many ever come to a church service like this? The preacher's preaching and you think, man, how was this sermon come out today? Who's been tattling to the preacher about what's going on? Anybody ever had that happen? So succinct, so on point, except you know that there's no way the preacher knows what happens is the Word of God, whether in print or in preaching, cuts all the way down to our heart because that's what God sees. It goes beyond what man sees. It's been said before, and bear with me this morning. Some say, well, the preaching today stepped on your toes. I think I forget who the preacher was. They told that one time. He said, that's too bad. I was aiming for your heart. Huh? That's what God does. God's aiming for our heart today. That's why, by the way, it's important for us to stay under the Word of God. So the writer of Hebrews here, the Spirit of God, through this penman, is saying that our appearance before God is made known by what God says. Let me put it to you this way. If I walked up to Riley right now and I started telling her what she's thinking, would that spook you out? Yeah, and it should. <laughs> but I can't because I'm a mere human. I can guess at what Riley's thinking. I can say, well, I know this and this, and maybe she's thinking this, but God, when he speaks, you know what it reveals? He knows us all the way to our core. When God speaks, it reveals how we appear before him. That's why verse 13 is there. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let me just, before we move on, how many have ever done something like this? You do something that you know is good. So we're going to go do a favor for a neighbor. But you get into the Word of God and you find people in the Bible that did good things, but they had bad intentions. 
I'll, I'll give you an illustration. You find a, a young man and he becomes interested in a young lady. And all he thinks is, if that girl's around me, I'm going to be happier. So he starts doing things to make her want to be around him. But it's not because he cares about her. It's not because he wants to take care of her. It's not because he wants to be kind to her. It's just, you make me happy. You're like a milkshake down at the restaurant. So I got to figure, but he'll lie and say, I love you. And if he told the truth, he'd say, I love me. Right? And I'm not saying, young man, young lady, flip that around. Sometimes we do a good deed for a neighbor. Maybe we look over there and the neighbor owns a backhoe and we don't. We think, you know what, if I would go use my pressure washer to pressure wash his driveway, when I ask him to use my backhoe, he would. So you come over and say, hey, I noticed you're trying to clean your driveway. Would you like me to pressure wash it for you? No, no need for you to do that. Oh, I'd be glad to. And boy, you pat yourself on the back. Man, I'm so nice doing favors for my neighbor. When really deep down in your heart, in your ulterior motive, you thought if I do something for him, he'll do something for me. Now, how many of us is it that clear? You walk over there knowing, I'm going to pressure wash his driveway so he'll let me use his backhoe. No. It's deep down inside our rotten fleshly nature. I'll do nice things if I get a benefit out of it. You'll not see that about yourself till you get in the Word of God. I'm going to tell a story about doing something for God, not because I want you to praise God, but because I want you to praise me. And we won't say that, but once we get into the Bible and God begins to show us the Pharisees and Sadducees who loved the praise of men, and all of a sudden we say, whoo, that hurts. Because the Word of God reveals the thoughts and the what? Intents of the heart. You know what? I can see your actions, but friend, I can't see your intentions. You do something kind and good, I'm just going to assume you're kind and good. But that may not be true. How many a wicked man has given candy to children because he had evil intentions in his heart? I'm trying to say today, the Word of God, when God speaks, He goes beyond what men see, and the Word of God reveals that He sees us clearly. And that's what verse 13 says. It says, Neither is there any creature... Now, how many of us believe we are one of God's creatures? Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight. What does He mean? There's not one of God's creation that he does not see clearly. That's a profound statement. Some reject God on statements like this and say, I can't accept a God that has that much power. But the Bible says it very clearly. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Meaning there is nothing this morning in your life that God does not see. Nothing. I remember being taught this as a child, and it's one of the most important things I've ever been taught. I remember believing it. I still believe it. I believe today that when no one else is around me, God sees me. The one who died for me, the one who has secured my salvation, can see everything about me. Not just everything I do. Not just everything I say. He sees everything I think. He sees every motive of my heart. Now, that's a profound statement. We're talking about our appearance before God. Our appearance before God. Aren't, let me ask you a question just real quick before we move on. How many of you are glad that man is not able to see you the way God sees you? That's why we're going to, in just a moment, talk about mercy and grace. This is what magnifies the love of God. Let me ask you a question. Let's do this. Shall we have an exercise? I want us all to start telling the most horrid thing you've ever thought or done. Shall we Shall we do any takers? Why? Because we wouldn't want to be around each other again. Our love is quite conditional. 
Honestly, I want you to think through. Now, God's forgiven you for some things. When he's forgiven you, you have a tendency and should to forget them. That's great. But if we start reviewing our own desires, our own thoughts toward other people, how many people would want to be around us? Come on, friends, let's be honest this morning. I don't think so. And yet God still sent his son to die for us. Knowing the thoughts and the intents of our heart, we don't have time for his word. We don't have, uh, we, we, we put God off to the side until he rattles our cage somehow. And yet God is still interested in us. The fact of the matter is, he is reminding us, you better not be trying to work your salvation because God knows you. That's why he says, you better labor to enter into his rest because if you're doing it on works, you're going to deal with somebody that knows everything you've done. Every thought, every attitude, every intention, do you really want to stand before him on your own merits? I don't. If God's going to say, okay, Nevin, you've talked about, you want to, you want to talk about your works. Let's lay out in front of me your church attendance. Lay out in front of me your Bible reading. Lay out in front of me the kind things you've done for other people. And I'll start telling you why you did them. Lay out in front of me all your good works. How many times you obeyed your parents, and I'll lay in front of you how many times you disobeyed them. How many times you only obeyed them because you didn't want to be looking bad or you wanted to stay out of trouble, not because you wanted to serve me or do what's right. So if you want to have that judgment, that's fine. I believe that's what God's saying. You better get to the point where you're resting in Christ and not in yourself. Because you rest in yourself and He's going to hold you to account on it. There is not any creature that is not manifest in His sight. We are naked and all things are opened under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. I want to go, if you would, very quickly. We'll move along. This first point is fundamental, I believe. Psalm 139. We sang a bit of a chorus from the end of this psalm this morning in Sunday school. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 7. Psalm 139, 1 through 7. Bible says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Boy, David could say that with some authority. Verse 2, Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb, so on and so forth. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Now, I'm proclaiming to you here in this first point this morning a truth. We're going to give an account to him with whom we have to do and if we're going to give an account to him, we need to know what, what depth is his knowledge of us. You see, when any man goes into court to plead his own case or have an attorney plead his case, if he knows he's guilty but he knows the evidence is not out on him, you know what he'll do? 
he'll plead not guilty. Unless, unless he's repented. He'll plead not guilty because he'll say, I believe I can be skillful enough in court to make a jury think that I'm innocent when I'm really guilty. We can fool mankind. So if we're going to stand before God, we need to know the level of knowledge he has. There's no evidence we can present that he doesn't already know. He knows us entirely. And so that state in the context, you need to labor to enter into his rest because his word reveals he knows you. We're naked with him, before him with whom we have to do. There's nothing that can be hidden from him. Now, I began to say, I'm proclaiming that this morning, but what will make the difference as to whether or not the truth I've just preached from the Bible affects us in a practical way? It's one simple thing. The Bible declares plainly, God sees everything about me, my thoughts, my intentions, my desires, and when he speaks through his word, it reveals that that's exactly who he is. But there are people that will live their lives today and maintain an appearance before men and not before God for one reason. They don't believe it. Do you know what establishes the fear of God in your heart? When you take him at his word. That's what will establish the fear of God in your heart. You say, you know what? I I believe him. I believe right now God sees how I'm responding to this message. I believe right now God knows what I'm thinking at this very moment. And it changes our entire perspective. So we see our appearance before him. I don't know about you. When I come through verses 12 and 13 and I realize that my judge, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. The Lord Jesus is called the righteous judge. He will make no compromises, no concessions. It's all based on truth. He is a God of great mercy. But he will not pretend that something's not true when it is. You know what tells me? Oh my, if the Lord knows everything about me. And you you say, I've already come to this conclusion. I'm saved this morning. Then meditate on this. Then I need someone else to represent me to that judge because I'm in trouble. If he knows my every thought, my every intention, not just my deeds before men, but everything about me, and I'm going to be judged by him, I'm in trouble. That brings us to verses 14 and 15, which is our advocate with him. Verses 12 and 13 deals with our appearance before him. Therefore, out of the truth that God sees everything about us, the Bible says, seeing then that we have a great high priest. What is a high priest? What does a priest do? A priest represents one man to God. He is a representative. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, Aaron was the high priest. He was an imperfect one. He had to offer for his own sins first, then for the sins of the people. But he would go to God on behalf of the people and offer a blood sacrifice acknowledging we're sinful and we need forgiveness. And that year the sin would be put aside. But the great high priest came who did not have to offer for his own sins. Jesus Christ offered himself for our sins acknowledging to God mankind is sinful and as their representative I take their place. And he offered himself up to God, Hebrews 5 says, as a sweet-smelling savor. And God accepted what he did on our behalf as payment for the sins of all mankind. That's 1 John 2, 1 and 2. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We have an advocate, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, with God, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so this text says, we have seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. He said, seeing you have someone that's willing to go and represent you to God, you you continue, trust in Him, don't trust in you. You had people that wanted to return to the law and the works of the law and proving to God they were righteous by keeping the works of the law and 
Paul's encouraging the author here, don't do that, don't do that, don't go back. You hold fast your profession of faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one you got to trust because you can't fool God. We have a high priest, an advocate who represents us to God, 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so then this advocate with him, he is a, he is a high priest. He has power to represent us. He said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Uh, in another text, it tells us, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I believe that's in Hebrews uh, chapter 10. It says in verse 22, verse 21, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Draw near to who? Draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another uh, to provoke to, unto love and to good works. You know what we're being reminded of? Don't look, and he's writing to believers here. Don't forget what gives you standing with God. It's not who you are, it's who Christ is. It is his righteousness, it's his power to keep his own word. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, speaking of Jesus Christ, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. My point in, in this is this priest we have has power to save because he's living. We have an advocate, and we didn't. It's not a past uh, idea. He is a present living person who has power right now to save. And so, our profession of faith is not in ourselves. Our profession is in Him because He's faithful that promised. And so, then uh, it says uh, in verse fourteen, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, that speaks of His power. He's the, he is uh, resurrected and conquered death. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession verse 6 15 says for we have not an high priest which cannot why should we hold fast our profession of faith in jesus christ for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are in three very simple but profound words yet without sin now would you rather stand before god on your own merits with nothing to hide he gets to judge you on everything he knows you to be or would you rather have the one who's without sin standing in your place an advocate is one who represents another in their place. The Bible says we have a great high priest, someone who died for you, ascended into heaven, is there right now as a mediator between God and men. And you can either let him represent you or you can represent yourself. Now, if you want to know what it looks like to represent yourself in heaven's court, how many of you have ever said that only a fool represents himself in court? Have you ever heard that statement? Well, you've not been arrested before. No. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't either yet. But anyway, the, the fact of the matter is, you can represent yourself in court, but if you don't know the law, you may be as innocent as the pure-driven snow, but you're going to get in trouble. You've got a prosecutor that's doing his job. The fact of the matter is, you and I would be greater fools to represent ourselves in heaven's court. Revelation 21, verse 8, gives you the picture of what happens when we represent ourselves in heaven's court. We will be judged by our works Meaning God says, I'm going to judge you by who I know you to be. You can either do that and say, I profess I'm a good person and I have, I think I'll do okay at the judgment. Or you can say, you know what? I'm not going to profess faith in me. I'm going to profess faith in Jesus Christ. And then he'll represent you. Would you rather have someone who, when examined with God's examination, God says about Jesus Christ, no sin. 
No sin. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That's the only person that's going to stand in God's judgment, by the way. He who is without sin. If you're not in Christ, you'll never stand. If you are in Christ this morning, can I draw you back to remind you that you're not righteous by who you are. You're righteous by who He is. And He said, let me encourage you, let me remind you, labor to enter that rest where you're not resting in yourself because God sees you and knows what you are, but you are resting in Jesus Christ. Hold fast your profession. That's resting in Him. I am confident Jesus Christ has the power to save me because He's living and He's pure. He's without sin. And therefore, He is, of course, to have preeminence in all things. He's the great high priest. He did not need... Uh, a sacrifice for himself as others did. There's a host of other scriptures we could look at. By preeminence, we mean he's the only one qualified to stand before God and to stand the judgment because he is without sin. So our appearance before God, there's nothing hidden from him that should drive us to our advocate to say that I need someone to stand in my place. And then finally, he deals with our approach. This morning, you're in one of two places. You're either sitting here thinking, praise God for this truth. When I got saved, in the simplest form, this is what I understood. I was sinful. God knew that. He knew how sinful I was, and I was deserving to be judged, and I believed Him. And I believed everything the Bible says about Jesus Christ. I believed He died for me. I believed He was alive, and if I called on Him, He would save me. And so I did. I, I asked the Lord to save me. Well, then hold fast that profession. He, he is faithful that promised. Don't waver. He's faithful to promise. He said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him and works really hard and proves that He's worthy of the faith. I'm not, look, faith needs to be sincere. It said, Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You tr- listen here. If you're, can I say something before I move on? I sense need to say this. If I'm sitting here this morning saying, Well, I can't just believe and be saved. Why not? That's what the Bible says. See, why are you saying that this morning, preacher? I hear so many people say it. Well, you can't just believe and be saved. That's what the Bible says. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and prove that you're worthy of His, of His, of His grace. No, you aren't. If, if you're worthy of it, it's not grace. It's reward. Look, at I, I, I labor for the Lord today not because I'm laboring to get saved, but because I'm resting that He did it all. And this, this idea that Jesus saves you, but if you're not faithful, He unsaves you, is not in your Bible. Not in the Bible. This is not a, an Armenian Calvinism debate. This is a Bible issue. And either life is eternal or it's not. Either John 10, 27-30 is true or it's not. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life unless they prove they're not deserving of it. Do you find that anywhere in the Bible? I find that genuine faith will continue to have faith. But I do not find, if I'm adding works to my faith, friend, you're saying Jesus didn't do enough. He didn't do enough. I'm going to ask you something. Is his death and shed blood on the cross enough to pay for the sins of all mankind, yes or no? Then if I have to add my works to it, I'm telling him his righteousness and his work on Calvary was not enough. And when we add works to grace, it's a false gospel. Amen? And there are many today with clever terminology, clever teaching, adding works to grace. And we are saved by grace. And by, by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, is the gift of God. Not of works, unless it's works after salvation, they help keep you saved. Not of works, lest any man should 
boast. Got a question. Those who think that they are saved by their earnest continuance, what do they always reference as the assurance of their salvation? I'm faithful to Christ. Friend, the assurance of your salvation is not your faithfulness to Him, but His faithfulness to you. That's what we're reading right here. He said, you better be careful trusting your works. God knows them. If I am saying today, I really want to be admired of men, then I'm going to to really be appealed to by a false gospel that says, yes, Jesus died for you, but if you don't live for him, he won't save you. He said that he died for you and you are still a sinner and an enemy. We were reconciled to God when we were dead in our sins. Our part is to trust him. He does the saving. Is he able to keep us saved? I wish there were Bible verses that said that he actually keeps us. Ah, but there is. Amen. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able and that I am faithful. No, that's not what it says. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Have you committed the saving of your soul to Jesus Christ? Have you put that in his hands? Have you put the washing away of your sins in his hands? Then let him do it and rest in it. That's what Hebrews 4 is all about. Your sins are forgiven not for your sake, not for your performance sake, but for Christ's sake. You trust him and God forgives you for Christ's sake. Isn't this a glorious truth? It is this truth that enables men to live holy lives. Any life lived out of dread and fear of man is not holy. It's unholy. And so then our approach, look what verse 16 says. So we see our appearance before him. How could anybody that God knows everything about ever approach God? If he knows every thought I've thought, every intent I've had, how do you even approach him and keep your head up? You don't. You act like the man in Luke 18. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But you know what? We met some young men a few weeks ago. They said, we pray this over and over throughout the day. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh, Jesus, son of God. And I'm not mocking these men. I'm not. I said, what point do you believe he did it, that he did it for you? At what point do you believe that if you ask God for mercy, he gave it? Because we repeat this daily over and over and over. Do you ever come to the point where you realize that God promised you his mercy if you come to him through Christ? And that if you approach God based on faith in Jesus Christ, God sees your sin on Calvary's cross and he gives you the sinless righteousness of Christ and you can know that you got the mercy you asked for? That's a glorious thought. Verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows our sins and he knows all about them and he came and experienced our temptations. But in all points was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, Let us therefore, because of his sinlessness, we can approach boldly to God. Because we don't approach based on our worthiness to approach, but on His. He is there in heaven. When I come to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am recognized because of my relationship to God's Son. And He takes me and accepts me and forgives me based on the righteousness of Christ. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy and grace both entail undeserved favor. That's been the simplest definition often given of grace, undeserved favor. But mercy is kindness and withholding of judgment, though it is deserved. 
I deserve God to say, I know what you are. I told you and I gave you clear commandment to honor your parents. I gave you clear commandment not to bear false witness against neighbor. I gave you clear commandment not to use my name in vain. I gave you clear commandment that you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. And child, you have violated that more times than you can remember. What right do you have to come ask me for anything when you have disobeyed and rebelled against me so many times? Many persons never seen themselves at that, at that place where I am literally at the mercy of God. And Him saying, I know when you did this, and I know this, and I know you tried to cover it by pretending you were this, but I know you. And if God were to say, what right do you have to even talk to me? If we were honest this morning, we'd have to say, none, none but your son. That's all. Only thing that makes me righteous is who is representing me. And I know that he has no sin. I've got more than I can count. David said, more than the hairs of my head. I hate my sin. I don't want my sin because I want to come into your presence. But I do so not based on my goodness, but on that of Jesus Christ. Grace is when God will listen to you, even though you don't deserve it. When God, instead of immediately casting you into the lake of fire, says, for the sake of what Jesus did on your behalf, I'm willing to treat you as a son instead of an enemy. And that's borne out all through Scripture. And here's what the book of Hebrews is saying, the Spirit of God is saying to us today, is because God knows us, which should drive us to Jesus Christ to hold fast our profession of faith in Him because we're not worthy to be trusted. Not in our flesh. Not without Christ. Some say, I'm a pretty good person. That proves you're not worthy to be trusted. <laughs> Any person who be that self-deceived should not be trusted. Can I trust myself to make me righteous enough to get to God? No, but I can trust Jesus Christ. So our approach to God, the basis is the righteousness and sinlessness of Jesus Christ. The boldness, the Bible says, let us therefore come boldly. Meaning if you're trusting Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. You come right to God. You come. We believe... One of the distinctives of being a Baptist is we believe in the individual priesthood of every believer. And we believe that because what the Bible teaches. I mean, not one person in this room has more right to go to God in prayer than another if you're trusting Jesus Christ. If I want to believe in earthly priesthood, there's no need. We have a great high priest. You go God directly through Jesus Christ. This will enliven your prayer life. So to go to approach the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy, that is God withholding from you what you deserve, How many of you, if you say, from the day I trusted Christ to this, from the day I came to realize only Jesus could save me, and I believe that, my life since then has proven that I'm good enough to go to heaven. Ha! How many of you want to be judged on the last 48 hours of your life? And I'm not advocating, look, God gives victory over sin. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying, how many of you God's still working to change you, transform you, and conform you to Christ? We've not arrived yet. Paul himself said that. But because our faith is in Jesus Christ, we have boldness to approach. And the blessing of that is God promises. He said, you come boldly to the throne of grace because of your faith in Christ that you may obtain mercy. Lord, I don't deserve to serve you. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve anything. But because Christ is my Savior, I'm asking, would you be merciful to me today? Would you forgive me? I have not treated you like you've treated me. How many of us this week have been as good to God as he's been to us? No way. Don't we need some mercy? Lord, I'm not asking you to be tolerant of my sin. I'm asking you to be merciful, patient with me, help me. That's mercy. I deserve for you to give me a good old-fashioned whooping. 
I deserve to be in hell. Friend, there ought not be a day goes by that you don't remember and I don't remember that if we got what we deserve based on our merit and our conduct, we'd be in the flames of hell today. That'll keep your heart tender toward God. Mercy and grace to help in time of need. This is why so many don't frequent the prayer closet. What do I need? I think I'm doing all right. I hold my job down. Family likes me okay. Got a decent running car, maybe three. People like me. What do I need? Well, if we're just comparing to other men, we don't need much. You compare to Jesus Christ, you'll say, oh, God, be merciful. Lord, I don't pray like I should, and I want to. Lord, I need, I need boldness. Lord, I need wisdom. Lord, I need, I need purpose. I need temperance. I need strength in my will to say no to sin. Oh, God, be merciful for where I've not done right, and I know you will because of Christ. And, oh, God, give me what I need. That a grace is the practicality of God's love for you. It is him giving you what you need to serve him. Giving you what you need. First, you need salvation. You need your sins pardoned. And then daily, you need strength from him to carry out his will. I mean, I agree with that. What a profound teaching, doctrine on prayer. View an effectual prayer life. Meditate on Hebrews 4. I approach God not because I am deserving, but because Christ is my Savior and he's deserving. And it's not just his death that paid my sin debt. It's his life that guarantees me access to God. And then he returns that. You know what happens? Christ brings, takes care of my sin, brings my needs to God the Father, and then he brings God the Father's supply to my needs. Isn't that great? That's not theory. It's not idealism. It's heaven's truth. Amen. This morning, as God's word is preached, some of it teaching, some of it preaching, many are going to be sitting here and you say, praise God, my salvation is not based on my perfection and performance, but on Jesus Christ yet. Because I'm resting in him, I want to serve him, and I need mercy and grace to do that. And you have it, full access to God through faith in Christ. You may be here this morning, and you say, you know, God may be revealing you're you're still trusting in yourself. If I ask you today, who are you trusting to make you righteous enough to go to God, whether in prayer or for eternity in heaven? The honest answer is who we're trusting. (laughs) Well, I, I do, I this, I... That's a profession of faith in me. Don't hold fast that profession. Repent of it. Hold fast the profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Faithful is he which call, that calleth you who also will do it. Our faith is not in us. It's in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm.